Damn refrigerator. I sure am hungry. Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Morning Dinner Podcast. It's your boy, Keem and Chuck, and we host the Morning Dinner Podcast. Based out of Las Vegas, we sit down with creators, entrepreneurs, and hustlers. And today, we have Jen Toller in the house. Hi. What's up, Jen? Hello. Hello, guys. How's your How's your Tuesday going? You know, it's going good. This weather is pretty crazy. What's up with the weather lately? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of a fan. I'm not ready. For what, what's crazy is that I remember specifically last year, this time, because EDC always happens in May, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think it just switched to May, didn't it? Well, or for the past two years? I can't remember, but I remember every time people go to EDC in Las Vegas for the past couple of years, it's always been scorching hot, you know, and now it's like like florida it's weather really cold it's like Tacoma yeah. weather. really cold just yeah. to let people know what what is like 50 did it hit like 57 i don't yeah or i don't think like it got that. like the high was 65 or like something it's crazy oh. yeah windy drizzling and that wraps it up for your weather for the day <laughs> <laughs> join us in las vegas this for our crazy dinner. summers <laughs> so jen real quick for people who are tuning in and don't know mm-hmm. uh can you let people know who you are and what you do out here yeah my name's jen taller i work on a project called ferguson's downtown uh the co-founder and creative strategist nice yeah, you, but, you're, but you're not also. originally from las vegas all right i am not i'm actually uh born and raised in houston texas houston texas yeah. i've only been to texas about two times it's but a great never state never in houston though i've been to dallas and i've been to uh el paso mm. huge state yeah, I've never yeah. Been. what's up with i've texas only been on the north side of texas on my arm if you want to do some like uh there we go yeah well yeah that's pretty much uh, it's a lot bigger than that <laughs> actual size <Yeah. laughs> well, to scale <laughs> did, didn't you say chuck that like, you drove through it one time oh and then, like my. it took you like two days to get through like, it or something yeah well, it was the most boring right north 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 of texas yeah. i'm not saying houston and austin all those because I, I, I went to Texas Tech, so it's still north. <laughs> oh, really? Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, it's like you stayed. It's totally fine. <laughs> no, it was just uh, it was a, a lot of cows. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of those. I just felt yeah. sad. I was like, oh, yeah. you're all going to be eaten. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, so, so, so. I didn't really think about that growing up, but yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> so you had mentioned going to Texas Tech in, mm-hmm. in northern Texas for fashion and design, right? Mm-hmm. What drew you to do fashion and design or go to school for fashion and design? Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because I didn't really grow up um, being fashionable and are in my mind thinking that I definitely was just like hanging out, played sports and all that stuff. But I think um, my mom, she's the youngest of 11 uh, and my aunt. Damn, and 11? Of, yeah. Sorry. A lot. No, yeah, it's a lot. She's <laughs> Big family. And the youngest. Yes. I have over 50 <laughs> immediate family members uh, and they just made and uh, all their clothes. So growing up, my aunt uh, would have, and she's our godmother. So we spent a lot of time with her, would have us help like pin patterns and I don't know, cut it out and she would make dresses for us or whatever. So I was just was fascinated by that. I think going to college was really overwhelming and I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. And I also really looked up to my older sister who's really creative. So in some way that just kind of made sense when I went there. Cause I definitely was looking even at like early childhood education and things like that. And I honestly can't really tell you what triggered and like, no, I want to do fashion design. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I would say it's like that deep rooted. Cause I asked myself all the time, like, how did I get to that point? Yeah. Um, cause we didn't grow up with a lot. So when we went and got school clothes or whatever, it's kind of sharing between the sisters and like figuring things out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think something just triggered, I think watching my sister be creative and doing that kind of pattern making with my, or not making, it was like patterns and cutting and helping her put all the pieces together. I was like, that was really interesting. And I like using my hands and putting pieces together. Right. And then obviously learned a lot through that process. So was, was this immediately like after high school that you decided to go to the school for that? Or was it, did you take a break or? No, I, yeah, I went straight to Texas Tech. Okay. Yeah. Um, honestly, it kind of worked out. I had like a high school boyfriend, uh, almost went to the A&M sub school uh, and would have probably tried to do like a veterinarian or something like that too. And last one was like, not a good relationship. Let me try something else. My best friend's going to tech. <laughs> and it I don't know, it's just kind of crazy how your life path yeah, takes you in a certain always. way. And so when I looked at their programs and what they had to offer, they off, it's an engineering school. Like it is not a fashion design school <laughs> whatsoever. And it's very conservative. Um, but there's a really cool sco- uh, store there that really helped project um, kind of like out of the box and something unique and different and really shaped a lot of my 
creative growth that I have today. Nice. We, we, we heard about you from um, uh, Kelly Bennett. She mentioned that you would be a great guest to have on. And when, when we were emailing back and forth, you had told me like in the kind of like a, your little bio that you uh, here, I got it written down right here. You bought and managed a boutique in, mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like? And what, what, what kind of things did you do there that carried on to what you came to do in Vegas eventually? Yeah. So there's a few of us that were pretty young and were uh, super empowered by the owners to manage and buy and release new departments of this boutique. Um, and I just think it was really cool. We, he, uh, his name was Steven and he took care of all of us, kind of took us under the wing and really challenged us to think about who's coming in, how are you targeting them, spent a lot of time bringing brand um, designers or sales reps or people coming in also to educate. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting today how much everyone talks about Oh, tell a story, the story, you know, like there has to be a story behind it. Um, because that's something early on and, and that store that they would come like, Oh, it tells a story. And if you can give that to the customers and they have something that they can hold on to, and then they can be like, Oh yeah, I got this at the store. And it's crazy because these two designers were stuck in a room for like a week to come up with an idea. And they came up with sharks and mermaids, you know, (laughs) and then that created the line. And that was a brand called Jesus G S U S. That's actually true. And I was like, Holy cow, that's so powerful. And to share that and give something to like hold on to, then it just makes it a conversation piece and it made it an experience. So I think a lot of that understanding, how to kind of tell the product to consumers. Um, I think being a very conservative town, but also a really fun college town, we could play with all of the boundaries of what was like maybe more society approved products. And then those ones that were really pushing the boundaries and how that could resonate with different people and really be a space for a community within the space within even the store is called Chrome. We would have a lot of guys actually that would come in um, and they'd be shopping in the men's section, but looking at the women's shoe area. And at first like, what's going on? We can tell you're not really flipping through and like are you just trying to look at the girls like and trying to figure it out and finally I was like hey like can I is there something wrong? Can I help you? And he's like, I'm so sorry, do you mind? Like he's a Crossdresser, he's like, can you bring me size 12 and all the heels? I'd like try them on. I'm like, oh my God, of course. Get in the, you know, go in the tent because that's what they were for the dressing rooms. We'll uh. bring you all the things. And he just felt super comfortable and like really appreciated kind of what we had to offer. And I think that that too, be able to create and be in a space with all these unique individuals and then people felt comfortable coming in and there was no judgment was another really big thing that I took away from from that experience it's, it's all about the uh, the experience too right yeah when you when you were when you were doing all that like make like you said it was how you made people feel mm-hmm. that kind of made it created like a brand loyalty kind of thing too mm-hmm. like i i know for 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 some for the some of the clothes that i that i wear like i wear a lot of under armor not just because my sister works there and she gets a good a little, <laughs> good little discount but like i but like i don't know it just feels good and then like i don't, I don't know yeah, I, lo- I love when, when clothes can feel good and like they make you feel good about yourself. And I, I have no sense of fashion. I don't like if you look at me like you we see what I'm that. wearing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, you look good. I, I have no, I have no sense of fashion, but like that's interesting. Like, uh, uh, but what kind of experience did you, did you learn there when you were doing that that kind of carried over to what you're doing in Las Vegas specifically? Yeah. Um, well, I'd say two things. One, taking the time to really understand your who you're around and what you're building. I think also with that space, really understanding what your purpose and goal was, it was to create this environment that was safe and pushing kind of the boundaries, uh, within fashion at that point, but also not selling something that wasn't real. If it didn't look good, it didn't look good. Or if it didn't feel right to share that. Um, and then being at such a young age in that environment too, I learned a lot from an operational standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, um, there's operational, a, you mean yeah. like, a like a managerial kind of thing or yeah. Like how to, um, I mean, when I left that boutique, I was like, I will never manage another person in my entire (laughs) life. Like, it's just because it's also weird. And even in today, how things are ran with even Ferguson's and my career path, it's not like this top down um, business model. Um, But even just from inventory control and how you buy and how you look at things. uh, And even in that store, Stephen, the the owner was very much still about the experience, like the floors are blue. We had grass on, you know, fixtures. And so I just really creating that something, that space that really felt like something and really honoring, like, again, that environment. So for me, the biggest things I took away from that was, okay, tell a story, 
create a real unique experience that you're behind and believe in. Mm -hmm. Take the time to understand who people are and what they're looking for rather than just rushing them through and making a sell. Right. Because that just doesn't get you anywhere. I mean, it gets you probably somewhere, but not in a real relationship. Um, And then just, you know, I would take notes on like, set up a proper inventory system. (laughs) So you're not Mm -hmm. there for three days counting, you know, through everything. That's crazy. Cause when you, when you talk about all that stuff, like I wouldn't think necessarily that that's the stuff that goes into it. Like I I think of fashion and design. I'm like, Oh, you're like, have you seen that movie with uh, Versace and on Netflix is like a Netflix documentary. I don't know uh, if I've seen that one. I forgot what it's called. I, I think it's. Is it called Versace? That ver- I can't remember. I think it's called Versace. I think it really is. <laughs> I think it's really called Versace. But there's like a whole like Netflix docudrama mm-hmm. series about it, and it and it kind of like like gives you like a little hint of like the, what goes on in the fashion industry, where it's like like making the outfits like for the runway specifically, mm-hmm. and it's got a you know the textures and this stuff like it means this, and this is how it translates to the audience when they you know uh, I forgot where I was going with that. What's that? Well, I mean, oh the- yeah, yeah, but, but okay. So I, 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 <laughs> like, I just remembered. I just remembered. So we're talking about the textures and all that stuff. But you mentioned kind of like the managerial and, and building a boutique and learning how to manage and run it. Like that's not something that I would necessarily assume or like kind of connect with the fashion industry. I thought that's something separate. But you learned it when you yeah. were setting up that boutique. Well, I mean, it was definitely set up, and the owners did a lot. We were just lucky enough to be in there to play this role and mm-hmm. learn that's from so it, cool. right? So I'm so grateful for that because I definitely think it really helped project me into the career path and journey that I've I've been on. If I didn't have that, oh, I don't even know, you know where I'd be, and I would have figured it out, but I did that while I was doing the fashion design, right? So mm-hmm. then that helped me tremendously in my school because I could actually see how product fit and then what people were attracted to so when I was learning doing patterns or hand sewing and Mm -hmm. doing all that then I could really understand like what how that translated so like sometimes definitely during design school like oh I'm gonna draw this this looks cool I'm gonna make it and it's like oh why would anyone put a seam that goes like this and that and like it doesn't fit right right so I had like these test dummies all the time as I was working in the store. Mm. Um, and then right before I left, I actually helped design a f- uh, fashion collegiate wear, Texas football, kind of a big deal. Right. So <laughs> made some really cool like fashion collegiate wear. And um, so that was really cool to take all of that of like what, what worked in the store, what did I learn from my design and marriage those together mm-hmm. and then see people in it and wearing it to the football games was pretty Pretty Damn, that's super dope. Yeah. So. At, at what point did you decide to move to Vegas though? Because that's a that's a pretty big jump from Texas to Las Vegas. Yeah, you know, I really love gambling. <laughs> like, I, used to have a, I used to have a problem. So. No, I was, I was young and, you know, no, um, honestly, I had to get out of my college town. So I actually uh, moved back to Houston. And um, when I was at the boutique, we had launched kind of like a mini Sephora-esque part of the store. And there was a hair care line that I really liked. And when I left, they're like, oh, hey, we need some help in Houston. Can you be that person? I was like, sure, cool, whatever. It gave me a job. It was like $20 an hour. Fuck yeah. oh, nice. and I was like, I was killing it. I mean, that's still <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'd be fine. I'd be happy with that too as well. But, um, anyway, so I was doing that for a while and I just, it was very lonely. Like I had, I learned to be happy sitting down at lunch by myself or, you know, going someplace to place. Cause I'd go to these stores and you're essentially, they're like, let me tell you about this product. But then you feel like you're that kiosk person, like, Oh, let me yeah. put this in your hair. And like, yeah. ah, get away from me. <laughs> but it was still cool like, when you got to connect with people and I was sitting there and a Zappos commercial came on and I was like, Oh cool. What's this? And I, you know, missed what I had, uh, being a buyer. And so I went on their website and, um, just applied. They had obviously the Vegas and then, uh, Kentucky, which Kentucky is where their warehouse is. And there's a assistant buyer role applied. I was t- 10 years ago. So I was like, I was like what is that? Yeah. What is assistant buyer? Yeah. What, what, what's uh, a buyer? A buyer. So I said with the Chrome, essentially we were kind of buyers for the store. So product where, okay. so I was a fashion footwear buyer for Zappos Got and it. at Chrome, I mostly focused on men's wear. And then I also helped with, um, the like skincare and stuff like that for a little while. So, um, so I applied for the assistant buyer just cause that's what I did in college. And, um, yeah, I was like, there's no way it's the internet. 
there's probably millions of people in there. They're never going to see my application. Um, Zappos has very fun, unique questions like what's your favorite superhero and all this other stuff. And I truly believe it's because I put my nickname in there, which was Huggles. So um, I don't know if you remember MySpace, <laughs> but that was my yes. name on MySpace. Because um, growing up, I just give everyone a hug before I left the room. So people would just call me Huggles. <laughs> and that gets exhausting, obviously, when you have a family of 50. So, <laughs> um, family reunion be like, oh, like, oh gosh, I'm not getting out of here anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, my parents like, come on. I forget names. Yeah, right. That, that's, yeah, that, that can happen. <laughs> like, what's up, cuz? Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, yeah, good to see you. you. What up, cuz? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that really helped. And then I did a Skype interview and it was really funny because Zappos also had 6pm.com and I didn't realize that. Like, I went to Zappos and I applied and apparently I applied for 6pm. So I'm Skype interviewing with them and they're like, okay, cool. So what is it that you like about 6pm.com? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I was like, so it looks like, oh yeah, it's a liquidation site and da 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 and just kind of made it up on the spot because I'm like, oh shit. I was like, I'm, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I legitimately thought I applied for Zappos, but what I can see, you know, and just responded. And, um, luckily they were impressed with my recovery <laughs> and oh, yeah. yeah, and flew me out and I did the whole day interview and it was really cool. And, uh, uh, ended up, yeah, coming out for uh, the fashion footwear team. So I bought uh, footwear for Zappos for about two and a half years. No, I'm still pretty ignorant to this. Like, I'm, I'm trying to follow you. I, I, what, what's a buyer? <laughs> buyer. Like, what so, is a, like, you buy their yeah, product? Yeah, so when you go to a store and you pick out that shirt, someone yeah. bought that. So, um, like, so I, so some of the brands that I, I bought for Zappos was Nine West. We, um, my boss Megan and I were the ones that brought Aldo to wholesale. So oh, for a while, they only okay. had their own stores. So it's like a, it's like a third party retail, right? Yeah. So Zappos. Yeah. So like anytime you go to a store, um, you have and and it's true. Yeah. So they there's designers. So let's say I was with what's your favorite brand? Stussy. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I just like this shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's like, it's laundry day. <laughs> <laughs> this is my pajamas. Yeah. But, uh, damn, I don't know. Uh, Keem, yours. Um, Cause I can make up Aldo. I'll just do Aldo. Yeah, just do Aldo. Cause <laughs> I, mean, I was going to make this interactive. Like, I'm so hard. I'm I like, I could have said pro uh, club. Like pro yeah, club. Like, yeah. So like, Aldo. Yeah. yeah. So there's a design team, which is what I went to school for. Right. So I kind of, rem I went to, a, I learned that in school and then learned kind of a new part of the business. So there's a design team that, you know, does the mood boards, goes and find fabric. They work with factories. They create the collection. They get it made. And then there's somewhere in there that they, figure out, okay, this is a collection we're going to present at trade shows or in our showroom. And then buyers um, are usually like boutiques or retailers. So they're at Zappos, Nordstrom's, any boutique that you might go in and out of. Then they go to these shows or go to their showrooms and they look at the collection like, sweet, I want to buy this, 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 and this. And this is how many quantities, blah, 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 blah. And then they have like the price to it. And then there's a suggested retail because it's illegal to tell people what to price it at, but it's definitely a hard suggestion. Really? Yeah. So it's illegal to tell people what they should price it at? As a um, as a brand, you can't mm -hmm. say like you have to put it at this retail price. Um, so you always see it's like a suggested retail cost. Mm -hmm. But obviously, if you undercut the market, then they'll be like, hey, like, that's not what we yeah. kind of agreed on. And then they'll can just they, stop can, selling you. Can they, I was going to say, can, yeah. at some point, they just stop selling they'll this They'll just start, stop selling uh, you. Yeah. And so but that, how would they know what you're selling it for? Oh, they know. They know? Yeah. I mean, what if you you're know. like at a swap meet? <laughs> well, <laughs> that might not be the real brand. <laughs> that's a that, might be, that might be something different. <laughs> you tell me that's not a real Versace shirt? <laughs> that's not Supreme. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that, so the buyer would go and pick that. And it's an interesting um, business for sure. Because uh, if the big box retailers don't buy certain items, but you loved it, then they don't have the quantity to produce that product. So a lot of times that's why. And I think in the last, to me, in the last couple of years or in the last 10 years, you know, it's became very bland in the fashion industry or you're not seeing a lot of risk because if Nordstrom, for example, which has a big buying power, didn't buy certain SKUs, which is an item, mm -hmm. then it wouldn't go to production because it wouldn't hit the minimums. Oh, wow. So then you're almost like limited. So there's often times that you'll buy this awesome collection in half or 
some of the items don't get produced. Um, so then you're kind of like held to whatever yeah. the bigger people make. Um, and I think that's where that huge movement with makers and creators and Etsy's and handmade has really been able to make their comeback and be able to really be, you know, forward facing because they should. Mm-hmm. And uh, it offers something unique. Obviously, you're connecting to another human being. Um, so that storyline and um, I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing because you get something kind of unique and different. So, so maybe you could shite, sh- shite. Mm, maybe you could. <laughs> maybe I think you I'll could. Pass. No, I was trying to. I was trying to mix words. I was trying to say shed some light, and I kind of just mix them together. Yeah. Ooh, maybe, word, shite. <laughs> maybe you could shed some light on on people like uh, or like companies like Burlington Co Factory, right? Where they have like they'll have like a price tag that says like oh, this shirt was originally one twenty nine ninety nine, but now it's $8.99. Yeah. Like, is that because they just weren't getting bought out and then, like, can anybody price it at that point or is that point, like, authorized to, to price it that low because it didn't sell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's definitely, so I did go and move uh, here and worked at the six, or Zappos side. My last six months at Zappos, I actually went and worked on the 6 p.m. side, which okay. is their discounted site. So oh, it's okay. a lot of things um, on there that just a reduced price. So that was super interesting to see that side of buying and how that world works. So at one point, you know, a lot of times there's a few scenarios, right? Either they don't want to conform to whatever big box retailer is telling them. So we're going to produce it. We're going to hit our minimums, whatever, because we believe this will still do well. We'll get it out there and we'll test it. And at that point, it could be expressed. So their own brand, right? So they don't need a different buyer, like they can just put it in their stores. And then at the end of the season or close towards the end, they have so much inventory. So like, okay, we're just going to cut this down in half or 75%. And at that point, they're still probably fine because they have to make it. And then if you sell it at one point, then they mark it up again. So that you have a lot of room if you're at the actual brand level. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Aldo and they're 80% off, there's either they're breaking even and or they still have a little bit of margin in there. Um, See, I always thought when you saw something at like, at, especially like at a, at a name brand store, if you saw something for like, like 25% off, you're like, yeah, but they, you're, they're still making 50% profit on top of that. Cause like you would never, cause sometimes you'll see like 80% off. Mm-hmm but they're still making money because otherwise they wouldn't be selling that, right? Uh, it just depends. At Sometimes that inventory is just dead. Get rid of it. Really? Get some money in so you can use that. Even break if it, even, basically. But break even or just get money in so you can just reinvest it, hopefully, in something that will just make up the loss, right? Mm-hmm. And there's calculated costs, obviously, for overhead that employees and taxes and all that other stuff that, you know, when you look at a garment, what it's made for, call it $5, then you have to put, you know, that overhead on it too and make up the difference. But hundred percent. If it's at a brand level and it's 25, 50%, they're still making theirs. Cause a lot of times if they were to go to wholesale, which would put it in front of a buyer they they put it at a price that the buyer could buy it at. So call it a shirt at the retail's $20. Most likely they're selling it to a buyer for 10. So you would assume that they got it made, yeah. you know, for five. Plus, right. yeah. people who are selling things or who buy things wholesale are getting it for such a big discount because they're buying in bulk, right? Yeah, and then how big your buy is and you can work out discount. So then, you know, that fit, you know the 50% mm-hmm. margin can be more or whatever it so, be. So was 6 p.m. basically like Ross? Like how um, Ross is? Because well, I've never been to a 6 p.m. I'm, oh, it, well, if you just go to 6pm.com on your interwebs. Is it only yeah. online? Yeah. It's only online. Ah. Yeah. So, but, um, no, so some of it was just uh, stock that didn't sell that Zappos would just move over. Right. Oh, okay. And so the idea was to preserve the Zappos site. So it didn't ever seem like, Oh, I'm just going to wait. It's going to go on sale. Right. So instead they could move it over to a secondary website. So you didn't feel like every time you went to Zappos, you could just go to the sell section and just shop on and oh, not, you know, so yeah, it's a, it was a smart move. And then, um, in other cases, there was a buying team that would just go to the brand and say like, what extra stock do you have in? So at some point in the season, if it's, if it's past a point that they feel like they can really sell it at full price so halfway through the season, they'll start slowly marking it down. And the further and further it gets away, the the, the more the discount, discount gets. So at some level, you're playing roulette at this point because you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm, I'm at the mercy of one Zappos not selling all the inventory to come to here, which you don't really get to buy that just gets moved over. And two, I'm at the mercy of that these brands have any inventory and good inventory that I can buy discounted to then put on the site and still 
make a margin mm-hmm. in some case too. So then this whole movement around private label essentially, which is always been relevant, but then there's SKUs that are made at a dis that are made third tier. There's different tiers. And so um, it might look like the same shoe, but they're stitching and, or maybe some of the materials no way. are just a little bit on the, just kind of like, uh, what was that? What was that, that technique that they do on Amazon? Is, it, is that what it's called? White labeling? Yeah. There's white labeling. That is oh, also. so in the fashion world, it's the same thing. Yeah. So not in this scenario, cause yeah. it's still that it would be aldo to aldo mm-hmm. um they just might design it a little bit differently or it, it wouldn't be the exact same shoe but it'd be within the collection just designed differently so mm-hmm. then you could have those kind of markdowns and give that that value that's crazy um, but yeah white labeling and private labeling is if we were to build, that's okay if we're gonna build a that's brand right now and, and put our label in it a lot of times like this would art this bone this is actually life is beautiful this blank, this piece, this jacket exists, and then they put the art mm. and tag on it, right? So they're yeah. white labeling something that already exists yeah. okay. rather than them like drawing it out, making their own patterns. Like this is the collection mm-hmm. now, I want to make. Now, what's the process of white labeling? Does that, is that like a committee they have to go to do that? Or like, cause I don't know how clothes work. Is there like a trademark on a design? Like a certain, I mean, I'm sure, sure not cause it's camo, right? You can't really trademark camo. Yeah. Unless the, you're, there's like, the fan, the fashion industry within like, the legal side and what's trademark and not. It's pretty crazy. Um, I'm going to butcher this, but Louis Vuitton, Christian Louis Vuitton, I feel like I say all those wrong, <laughs> ended up trademarking the Red Soul. So um, there is a brand called Iron Fist that we used to buy at Zappos and we had to kill all SKUs on the site and then just eat that inventory because that that went through and they had a Red Soul as well. Ooh. But now they have the rights to the Red Soul. So there's certain things that you can do, but there's certain things you can't like life is beautiful. Can trademark that name in fashion because it's just a broad, like life is beautiful, you know? Like, so there's certain things that you can and can't. And you know, if you copyright or have like a certain design that's very unique and you can identify it, then sure. But, um, it's a great area. You take a lot of, I mean, the, the biggest thing that sucks the most is for these kind of smaller designers. And Mm -hmm. you see it a lot of times, unfortunately, and, the forever 21s and h&m and all that stuff they might follow a really cool like younger designer and then you'll start seeing that implement oh, and so usually sad. it is and a lot of times it's funny because te- or not texas we yeah, have but texas probably the <laughs> states is a little bit behind on trends so the things that are happening overseas are like two three years before it hits over here and when it hits here it's still like another two or three years until it becomes like until like everyone really picks up a trend so when it trends like out it's like interesting because it's already been a thing for like five years but by the time we catch up and stuff to like what we're comfortable with and want to do as an overall you know american country it's It's kind of a little behind yeah Yeah, it's kind of interesting it's kind of like movies in mexico man something comes out here and it comes out two years later in mexico (laughs) (laughs) I, I, it's not like that, but I do have because fa- I, I have family down there, and I, yeah. I go visit them all the time when I was a kid with my family, and like they were just like, "Oh, the new movie came out." Like, that movie came out five years ago. You're like, "What?" Yeah, it's, it's just coming out over here. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. it's with you know social and stuff like that, and people just really owning their own identities. It's really cool, and this huge shift I feel like in the last couple of years has been really awesome to watch. What are some of your your favorite brands right now? If you are, I don't maybe not brands, yeah. or I'm trying to figure out how to were this yeah. is it brands designers you know honestly because i've been so disconnected now being in like my ferguson's world and yeah. more like white labeling or private labeling sector um i've got some cool like blank companies like i really um, like bella canvas um which is just a, like a blank company that you can put your graphics on a lot of like you know if you go write to that the, down yeah i mean yeah. you guys put your name on it usa made um great great quality and good pricing um and other than that just our local makers i've got you know cricket i love finding i mean her stuff is just curated vintage stuff yeah um, i was gonna say that's all i do is dead stock yeah not not like um I just go to thrift stores and I'm just like, oh, it's so cheap. <laughs> yeah. And then we've got um, Sam with Down Path Goods who does linen uh, clothing. So just been more integrating kind of our local community of stuff like Burnt Boutique. They bring some cool stuff in there. So um, are my jewelries, Megan, Jupiter Lala, Mojave Moon. So just, nice. yeah. So That's now so it's dope. just kind of whatever it's around. And my boyfriend and I live in a Airstream, so <laughs> don't have a lot of room. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, so Zappos brought you to Vegas. Mm-hmm. 
But then you got involved with Ferguson's downtown. Yep. So I, yep. 10 years ago, moved here for Zappos. I uh, did no, for, that. For those, sorry, I didn't mean to no, cut yeah, you no, off. For, for those who are tuning in and maybe didn't catch uh, Kelly's episode, what is Ferguson's downtown? Yeah. So Ferguson's downtown um, is a city block uh, between 10th and 11th street on Fremont street. If you've seen two semi trucks inverted, that's where Ferguson's is. And uh, we've been working on it for a little bit over two years. Um, our whole ethos is rooted in community, celebrating and highlighting our local talent. And there's about 30 of us that live in the back in Airstreams and tiny houses. And we moved there about two years ago and uh, have been developing the front old motel. And alongside of that, two years June is when we launched Mark in the Alley, which was our way of starting to like really tap in, bring people together, uh, create a space to bring local makers, creators to sell. Uh, granted, we have, you know, the first Fridays and the other markets in downtown Summerlin and Henderson, um, but we wanted to create something kind of further far east and just really worked on the space with uh, creating an environment that kind of transported you from the downtown street into this alley. And, um, yeah, we started with 16 makers and creators and maybe like 200 people attending. And two years later, we had over 70 this past weekend. And we've had an attendance of almost 4,000 uh, that are coming to like meet the makers, shop, create, like just all the things. It's been really cool to watch that shift for us and see see people coming together in that oh, way. Damn. Yeah. When is the next market in the alley? Uh, so it just happened this last Sunday. Oh, but did it? Yes, but it's the third. Game of Thrones Sunday? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even get me started. That, that's that's going to derail us for the rest of the evening. Oh, man. Oh, I can't. I don't want to get this yeah. nice on this video. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, so it's the, usually it's the third Sunday of the month from 12 to 4. We're going into summer hours. So uh, next month it'll be on Saturday, so the third Saturday of the month from 6 to 10. Okay. Yeah. I meant to go to the one last month, but I was out of town. And then I was waiting for the next one, but I, I guess I missed it. You said 200 vendors? No, no, no. Uh, oh, okay. 16, I was like, we, well, when we started, it was 200 six, people. Yeah, 200 okay. people. Sorry. 70? Yeah. Uh, this last market, we had over 70 vendors. That's crazy. Yeah. So, and we've had up to 4,000 people. So, this this one, we had a little less, but, uh, you know, I think the wind advisory alerts of like, don't try. Yeah. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe scared off a lot. What, what, what kind of vendors do you guys have? They're um, all local. So, anywhere from if it's handmade clothing, curated vintage, uh, culinary mocktails um jewelry we have a whole kids section we have kids that are selling which is so amazing uh these young entrepreneurs and like get your shit together you're good <laughs> look at these kids they're doing it um to uh, all the things yeah it's really cool we do have a database of over 200 local makers and creators um and it just continues to grow which is really cool that's so cool so, nice yeah. nice so you've been rooted into the whole vegas community what have you noticed that has has changed in the last 10 years since you've been here? Well, so 10 years ago, again, I was joking about the gambling thing. So like gambling and <laughs> nope. like the clubs and that all that no, stuff. No. Yeah, like are just not my jam. And so, um, you know, I, I've been really drawn to mom and pop shops or coffee shops and, you know, bars that are local. So I was finding myself coming downtown often um, when I moved here. And at that time, Zappos was in Henderson. So I lived up there and then we'd all come down here, hang out and then go back and it just trying to like connect to something. You know, I, when I moved here, I was 25. Is that right? I don't know, 34, so 24, yeah. I'm like, let me do that backwards. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, single and just like trying to find the people that I could connect to. Mm -hmm. And so I just would always find myself coming downtown. I spent a lot of time also by myself, which I've learned to like really love this person that I am. Um, But yeah, so doing that and I would like park my car, run inside, go to the Griffin, hang out, run to my car and go home or even the beat and all that stuff. So I, one of my favorite things in the trans, like the transformation in the last 10 years is just seeing lines out of these bars or restaurants and weights and, you know, having 200 people on a database and 4,000 people showing up and people coming and Mm -hmm. buying and wanting to collaborate and sitting around this table and having these conversations that totally exist before, but it's really awesome to see it start coming like more in a cluster and and Mm -hmm. having that, that space we can call our downtown, like, Oh, cool. We can go down there. We feel safe. And you know, some cases obviously have to be smart. Um, and it's just, a place that we can collaborate and and really do things together, which I think is really cool. So it's really like the growth of, of the community out here. Mm-hmm. 
which nice. it has grown a lot. Las Vegas, because like I've you know I'm born and raised here, and I've seen it for a while, you know, and I, I've just been around like the music scene because you know hip hop artists and all that. So I've seen it like grow a lot because it was it's pretty like I remember Fremont used to have like nothing, mm. like literally nothing. I think this is before like Commonwealth and all that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if the beat was there back in the day when I went down there one time. It was still like everything was just dead. Mm-hmm. So it's like really cool to really see like a lot of stuff is changing, you know? Yeah. And I it's agree. super enjoyable. Where, where where do you see the uh, the future of Ferguson's downtown and kind of like the whole culture heading towards? Yeah. So we actually just had our first tenants move in the last couple of weeks on so the front. So the U-shaped old motel, we actually... Um, there's a lot of history there. It was built in the 40s. It was originally called the Franklin's Motel. And then in the 60s is when it was bought and turned into the Ferguson's. Mm. Um, and both were by family. So the family in the 40s that built it actually lived there. And uh, Theta, she's 90. She's still alive and has popped by to let us know she's happy with what we're doing, nice. which is awesome. Oh, and uh, she's told us a lot of stories, how she would collect all the money and walk it down the street and go, you know, pay the bank at eight years old. And I think that like family vibe and energy still resonates in the space because a lot of people are like, oh, it just feels so good. And, you know, the way that we're treating it is, um, yeah, I have like, I guess I'm working on the division and the design and with architects and figuring out tenants and stuff, but it's been really cool. Cause that's not just me. Like I've been fortunate and love our community that it's like, okay, what do we need? How can we do this together? You are an ex you're an expert in this field. I love to think that I could figure that out, but like help me. I, you know, I value you. I see you. I appreciate you come, come help. And so it's been really cool, let alone living there with a bunch of people. Um, and it's our every day being able to really collaborate with the community, um, and build this space and preserve the bone structures of it. So the building structure is still the same. We were able to preserve 20% of the original tile. So when you look at the Ferguson's, the tile all on the top is the original tile and all the new tiles actually underneath it. And, um, there was actually things that were built on the structure for additional structure or closets or whatever on the, on the, like in the U that we actually took out. So, uh, there's stairs that actually had this really beautiful curve to it. So we actually took out the brick to bring back kind of that original like movement that it had. Uh, and then, yeah. So when you look at it from the outside and saved the sign and did a whole brand guidelines off of what's there, um, the inside's completely gutted and the idea instead of putting it back into the motel state, we wanted to put it more in a gathering community space. So in the front two spaces, we have Dan Cromar, who has other mama here in town. And he just opened Hatsumi, which is a Japanese restaurant, which is Ooh. really amazing. Come eat Gonna it. Have to try so it's yeah. just a bunch of entrepreneurs and creatives down yeah. there. Yeah. So, and wow. then, yeah. So then uh, we got Tiny Bloom that's building out their space right now. And they, they, uh, they actually moved here from Portland, found the market, loved it and quickly jumped in and did, did workshops and they sell flowers and just like really integrated and really loved our community. Um, so they're doing a, a flower shop. Then I've got Corner Bar Management. They actually own Park and Commonwealth and doing some other bars. They have their headquarters upstairs, a critical focus. I'm not sure if you guys know those guys. Yeah. yeah. They have their office there. And then we, I have some leases out with a really awesome coffee shop um, roaster that's going to 98% sure it's there. Um, we're <laughs> yes. just going back and forth on stuff. But definitely love Publicus and Vesta and talk to those guys and what we're doing. Um, but yeah, it's really cool. So just getting the creatives, the local community, mm-hmm. finding those anchors. And then collectively as, um, as Ferguson's we've launched market, we've done poor and all these different things to help be a driver. So we're doing, you know, we we'll always want to do our part on driving people to the space, but we also ask for that same commitment from anyone that's coming to be a part of it. Like mm-hmm. we also need you to be a driver. If you're coming here and expecting us to be this success for you, I want that. And we hope that we are, but if you're not showing up to and bringing and trying yeah, and testing things, definitely. you know, cause I equally need that from each and everyone. So we're all like kind of champion for each other. And I think that's been a really cool thing for me, at least to see in this uh, Vegas community is this collaboration over competitiveness and like really just kind of like, you're awesome. Let's do this. Let's figure it out. So right. Kelly, for example, like that's amazing. She's great. And she's always championing people. And I love working with her. And there's so many other people that are doing that too, where it's like, cool, I see you. You're doing something rad. Let's come here. Let's collaborate. And then our reach can be greater and make a bigger impact. 
That's dope. I I always preach like collaboration over competition because mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, competition you're you're trying to like outdo each other, but co- collaboration is like you can lift each other up. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And I like that. Like that's 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 one of the biggest reasons why I like hanging around Chuck so much is because we're always like if I see him do some cool stuff, it makes me want to do some cool stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's like friendly competition. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> for but sure. I win, I win all the time. <laughs> you're going <laughs> down. <laughs> that's dope. So you, the grand opening is this fall, right? Uh, you know, I'm gonna be really light on that i'm gonna do some openings okay. uh no soft openings. like soft, soft openings a bunch of, yeah so like hot zoomies open now um Lamonha, hopefully in the next month which is going to be the coastal mexican restaurant that he's opening then we'll do tiny bloom then hopefully the coffee shop i'm talking to a hair salon um aromatherapy studio slash massage a plant store and some other things so i think it'd be just cool to roll out different things and give each individual kind of like their proper like the spotlights you and then yeah. at the end of the year for sure look at doing this like bigger grand opening nice so but hopefully in the next month or so the gate will be open and it's just once the mexican restaurant gets open then the two front spaces are and that's really under construction so then we can open the gate come eat hang out in the grass um because if you haven't been there we actually dug it down eight feet so there's like this slant that goes down into the mm. to the u of the building and then it pitched off at each different levels to create these kind of steps and stairs that gives a little bit of an amphitheater kind of yeah. vibe oh, that's so that's so yeah and then the back corner and um the back what is that northeast corner northeast. uh is where the stage is and again the idea so definitely for all the music stuff that you guys have is it to be a local stage or original um, song stage where a lot of times I think from what I've heard it's cool get this gig you can throw in maybe one or two originals but play the covers entertain the people um, where we want to really switch that conversation and so when people come to Ferguson's as a whole if it's to shop local they're here they're ready they're accepting and they're ready um, and then when there's music they're like hell yeah let's go to Ferguson's we always find cool new music um, I even want to work on having the music that's playing being all local in the background and stuff like that too that's so be so cool yeah so and then we built that structure that's for the coffee shop and it is three feet above the original grade. So when it was all flat and people used to park, it was only like three feet higher of that grade. But now when you go up there, it's like 12 feet difference. And it's mm-hmm. like, you feel like you're, it's just crazy. It's like so high. Well, I was about to rap and I completely forgot to talk about Stitch Factory. You, that, that, that's part of your journey. That is out here oh, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, we, How am I going to... Because we did talk about it before the podcast. Yeah. That's what it was. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. We always, we always do a little bit of talking before the podcast and I'm like, I got to remember... Did, was that on the podcast? Were we live when we were doing that? <laughs> uh, so people who are, who are tuning in right now, what what is the Stitch Factory? What was your involvement with it? Yeah, so so when I was at Zappos, when I left, I actually moved to Australia for a little under a year to help a startup out there. And right before I left, me and some girls were one of the first pitches to Downtown Project for a boutique. Um, and it was just too early. It didn't make sense. We wanted to do it more by the Arts District, and that wasn't really where they were focusing on. Mm. And randomly got found on LinkedIn by this woman. And I was like, cool linkedin yeah linkedin LinkedIn. i know and i have not updated my profile since i went there which is it's fine but it's crazy she found me and i was like okay and i never checked it It was like new year's eve and i was like well my life did i do enough and i was like going through my emails like oh what's this and so it was really cool that she found me um 27 at the time um and didn't have wasn't tied to anything so was able to live out there and and buy for for them and then um damn that's so tight yeah how was yeah. it in Australia? So how was, how'd you like it out there? loved, loved culturally living there. And I loved, because I was in Bondi Beach and I was right by the coast. Oh, and I would be, wake up early and go hiking and watch whales flip around in the ocean. But I was miserable from the working experience. I, I, probably going from anything from Zappos is will always be a hard transition. Right. Um, we heard Zappos has such a great yeah, I heard company the culture. Yeah, for so sure. Good. Yeah, it, and it, it really, really is. Um, and then secondary, Americans don't get the best rap. So even though I wasn't being, I don't feel like that, all-knowing American person um the culture of the company wasn't awesome because they were trying to open like the Zappos of the world Mm. and they did this top down like take everyone down and created this really like 
nasty environment from management and people there. So everyone just like always scared. And I didn't know that when I came in and I realized really quickly, like, Oh, maybe these people aren't really my friends. <laughs> it, which yeah. is, I mean, it, it worked out. Like I, I, I grew so much as a person, like my poor mother, I probably called her every other day crying and leaving her voicemail. Cause like also you're on a different time, time zone. Yeah, time zone so like, content. yeah, I'm getting off work. <laughs> so sad. And then I'd go to sleep and then she'd probably wake up like, Oh my God. Um, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't change it for the world. I learned to be tougher, um, find out what's important and, and things like that. And it was a really great, and I do have some good friends that I made out of that experience, but I came back to help my friend Megan, uh, open stitch factory and I ran it for her and it was a fashion creative space and it was super fucking cool. We had this awesome warehouse space, a bunch of machines and dress forms and tables. And the idea, especially when you're a fashion design major, you go to school, you have access to all these great machines and all this stuff. And then you leave and you're like, cool, I can afford a home machine and I'm just going to sit in my kitchen. It's like, you know, and it's it's like, oh, it's like night and day. And then if you go to the, you know, more um, like the jukies and stuff, and it's like super fast, it's great quality. And so we, she created this space that, fashion designers could come collaborate or have a design studio space and kind of do all that. Uh, definitely just early in its time. Um, so it just didn't really take off. We actually had a lot more people asking us for design help. Um, mm-hmm. So we actually started doing more de- uh, de- design development. So we um, would build collections or patterns uh, for, there's a kid's line that we did, an all leather collection that we had made and kind of got into the manufacturing side, which was super cool. But I was like, this is, there's a reason why people are experts in there. There's like, it just never would pencil out. And if you made one mistake, it just took you backwards. And, um, but it was really cool. And then we ended up going into more of like the brand development. So we would work all the local businesses to build their brand. So year two of life is beautiful. We actually did a capsule collection for them to show that you could do more fashion and, like brand mm-hmm. collaboration stuff and that where people would actually make it more of a lifestyle brand rather than your souvenir t-shirt that you buy and throw in yeah. a closet and maybe wear once every so mm-hmm. often it completely sold out and everyone was wearing it during the festival. So year three, we actually did all design, all product development and did all the, the retail tents and the festival. And it was just phenomenal to see how many people were wearing the product to the festival where outside lands like, we have never seen anything like this. Like no one wears the actual festival gear to the festival. And so that was just a really cool, amazing moment Mm -hmm. to know that we could bridge this gap and just kind of watched it progress from there. And, um, yeah, so that was kind of like it. We did a lot of, we actually did a speaker series. So, once a month for a week, we would bring anywhere from 30 to 40 people in the fashion industry to do talks um, or mixers or dinners to meet the local community. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's it was so tight. It was super, it was really, Definitely really awesome. ahead of its time. <laughs> for sure. There's, yeah. there's every week was curated. We did the third week, then there's tech cocktail that focused on tech companies. And then there's Catalyst Creative that did the first and last um, week around creatives or entrepreneurs and things like that. But it was just cool having that much energy and new energy energy coming into the city all the time. And then to be able to be in front of our community and talk. Um, and then we would do a bunch of workshops. So we'd have come learn how to make a, a jacket or some of our first classes were for guys that would hit us up and like, we want to learn how to make drop crotch pants or like whatever, like sweet. And so I think our first fashion workshop of teaching how to make a pattern. And so was like, all dudes. See, I would have loved that because yeah. I, I yeah. was like getting into sewing and everything. And I was like, damn, this shit's too hard. You know, I wish <laughs> I had somebody to really like teach me how to like I know it's just mostly patience, you know, mm-hmm. but just like how to like, like, that's some cute, the, I can't think of the word. That's some cute date shit right there, man. What? Take a girl <laughs> on a date to go stitch. It, that'd be tight. Yeah. Instead of like the wine and painting. Yeah. I haven't, and I haven't done that yet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a moment that we did stitch and sip and sew. And then the city's like, you I'd can't really of, do that. Yeah, I'd be scared <laughs> of somebody. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Like cutting their finger with a machine or yeah. something. <laughs> um, but if you still want to do that, actually, our buddy Kevin bought all of our machines and stuff and built a fashion company called Taffa. And it's actually, Taffa. yeah, it's at the second level of the old emergency art or in the emergency art building above the beat. So oh, you nice. can actually okay. take classes still there. And then there's another, I think it's pen cushion or something in the arts district where they're doing some cool stuff too. There needs to be like a website for all this kind of stuff that's happening downtown. Yeah. Cause like I would never have known that had you not told me, 
You know what I mean? True. And I feel like there needs to be like a directory that kind of lets, like, kind of like we were talking with um, nothing to do LV, nothing to do LV, and how they're kind of curating yeah. all that. Like, here's what you do on a Tuesday night, on a mm-hmm. Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, like. That kind of stuff helps people really get out there too. When they don't know what their options are, they're not gonna go out or they're not yeah. gonna bother. You know what I mean? For sure. So yeah, yeah some kind I of. I love what they're doing. Dry. That's Nothing on you, Chuck. Yeah, what? get on, on it. Just uh, get on it. Want me to do it? Right. I'll do that. You can add it to your services and the things. But it's definitely kind of like you said. It was definitely ahead of its time. And if it, it, history has taught us anything, in the last ten years in Vegas is that the 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 whole community in Vegas is about to boom. Mm. I mean, we got more culture coming to Vegas more than ever now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely say, you know, it's something that can definitely happen again. Yeah, so. I agree. I agree. And it it is. There's there's places that are popping up and doing it. And yeah. It's just cool. I mean, obviously you learn a lot and yeah the city is a it's an interesting one in so many amazing ways to keep challenging us as creatives or or businesses because there's just so much to do so how do you keep creating again that environment that place and getting in front of people and there probably is a site that has everything to do it but how do we find it right you know (laughs) there's so much content and just that's just true because social media and all that stuff so but it's been cool you know again like biggest thing is having these moments that we can sit together you know making real relationships we all want to be seen well and be heard so it's amazing you know things like this exist for people to be able to talk and tell their story and you know like you said everyone has something to say and it's all great things to be to say and to be heard Mm -hmm. and um you know i think that's ultimately from a ferguson's perspective like how do we create this platform this city block and you know hopefully we can take it over to travelers too and and be an an anchor in that area that just can be just fluid, like different thoughts, different ideas and create different roadmaps of hope, hopefully like, um, templates of success. So if you want to do events, cool, this is what we've learned. This is what, what worked, what didn't work. This is how you can market it. And for X percentage of like success rate and we're here to help. And, you know, so just really trying to test and figure out all those things. I'm sorry. I like moved no, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, a pretty God. janky, yeah. it's a pretty janky Remember built table. Yeah. This is a DIY. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, not the best. One, one thing that we always say is you never know who's going to get inspired by what you say. Um, you know, words are very, very powerful mm-hmm. and you never know, like something that you have, might have said during this podcast might have sparked somebody to move halfway across the country. Just that one part was very inspirational to them and they, they you never really know. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of just another the fact reason of how much we learn just yeah. now, you know what I yeah. mean? About all the things. Cause uh, the, the, that's why I love what you guys do so much. Cause you're curating a community without a community. There's no culture. Yeah. And that's right. just realistically how it is. Like mm-hmm. if everybody's not down to come together and work together it's it'll literally just be another little town yep. so shout out to jen tyler oh yeah. thanks guys thank you shout so much for being yeah. on all you I guys it, yeah we uh i think we're we're at the what we're at the 50, 51, 51 minute, minute. Mark. yeah there we go it's all right 60 seconds. Uh, real <laughs> quick last thing do you want anything you want people to kind of take away from this episode about you about them uh advice that you have last words uh if you're here you're local or feel lost hit me up have an idea let's chat and uh yeah thanks for listening to me and you're all awesome and if you don't feel that way change your story and tell you yourself that you are there you go boom Ooh, wise words uh we're gonna put all your information down in the description down below for people who are tuning in on itunes spotify youtube uh thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you guys in the next morning dinner